We're in John chapter 8. <laughs> Last week we looked at the woman caught in adultery. We enjoyed looking at the woman caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, it's a fabulous story that doesn't belong in John. Yeah. Uh, it's clearly an, uh, an addition. We looked at all the various places that it could be found in ancient copies. We looked at it a little bit in terms of its structure and grammar and noted that it's not like the rest of John. It comes from either the oral tradition or possibly from Luke, but more likely the oral tradition. It is authentically a Jesus story, but uh, doesn't belong in John's gospel, but we keep it there anyway because really there's no other better place to put it. Its location is interesting. For one thing, it, it interrupts the flow of the story. If you take out 7 verse 53 through 8 verse 11, you don't have this issue of Jesus bouncing back and forth between the Temple Mount and, and the Mount of Olives. We have him bouncing back, back and forth for this. If you take it out, you lose that. Instead, it all becomes one long event. In fact, his speech when he gets to the Temple Mount and he, he just says, I can't stand this anymore, and he has to get up and talk, this is all that we're going to see in chapter 8 from 12 on is part of that same discourse. The interruption, the, the only original interruption is the one to be found where the guards come back and say, we can't arrest him. We've never heard anything like him before. And then this charge is, well, you, you must be Galileans. Don't you know nothing ever good comes from Galilee? And Nicodemus opens his big fat mouth and they said, you aren't a Galilean, you are you? So that's a little sidebar that's going on that we're not, it's kind of happening off, off scene from where Jesus is with the crowds at the Temple Mount where he's preaching. So let's, uh, let's kind of pick it up with Jesus in verse 12. He's continuing. Actually, um, yeah, I, I want to... I want to kind of give it a little bit of context. Verse 37 of chapter 7. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. And of course, that's sort of the rerun of the woman at the well sermon. Now he said, uh, and, and then we have this little explanation about the Holy Spirit that we spent time on. And then you have the people responding, this is really the prophet. And others saying, this is the Messiah. And some asked, surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was a division in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Go to verse 12 of chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Another I am statement. We've seen several I am statements before. Again, that's a rather audacious thing to say, just in the, in, in the literary statement to say, I am the light of the world. It's just a, a shock to make that as a proclamation. But in Hebrew, it's even more of a shock. I am, he's, an, he's affirming himself as God. That's God's personal name. Not only is it a declaratory statement, the, the to be verb in the first person singular, it's also 
an articulation of God's name, Yahweh, the light of the world. Then look what he says. He makes it worse. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's a pretty audacious thing to say, to articulate yourself as being the light of the world. And that if you follow him, you will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's an audacious statement. It, it places him way up there in importance and connected with Yahweh, the, the I am, most especially so. Hence the responses that we're going to get. Then the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Well, who are you to be saying this about yourself? Is there anybody out there who's going to say this about you? Is there anybody out there who's going to confirm this about you? Who are you to say this about yourself? You are testifying on your own behalf. Your, your testimony is not valid. Verse 14. Jesus answered, even, notice, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I have come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. Even if my testimony is on its own behalf, even if there's nobody out there to affirm that what I'm saying is true, my testimony is valid because I know where I'm coming from. <laughs> and you don't know. You judge by human standards. You judge by the flesh, literally. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. What's that word, Father? Huh? Word is that Abba's for Father? Patros, or should be. Let's, let's check it. Verse uh, 16. Uh, Patra. Yeah. Me and the Father. Pater, literally. So yeah, it's, it, he uses the, the Greek word for father here. The English has capitalized it to indicate that it's a, it's a divine title, but that, there's no indication of that in the Greek. It's the context that tells you who this is. But I am the father who sent me. So he says, even if there's nobody else out there to witness to me, I know where I've come from. I know where I'm going and you have no clue. Where I'm coming from is enough testimony. My source, my origination, who I am is enough testimony for me to validate what I'm saying. Of course, that's self-validation in and of itself. And how the heck do you prove that? What a tautology. He's getting ready. Well, yes, it is a tautology. He's getting ready, though, to substantiate it. With it. And you notice it says it's only even if. If I were. It, he, he, he doesn't say, he doesn't agree with them. He says, even if I testify on my own behalf. Would anybody be thinking, since he used a Patros, that this might be Joseph he's talking about? This well, there is, a, there is a question about that in a little bit, okay. but, but, but we'll see that just a sec. In, in other yeah, even gospel contexts, context, at this point, he would be bringing in Old Testament references to explain who he is, right? He's not, he's not doing that here yet. In the synoptics, he probably would have already quoted from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Now, there are going to be Old Testament references coming up really soon here. 
Well, when he refers to himself as the light, uh, did the Jews uh, equate light with God? That is one of the things. It's very ambiguous. It's this is more philosophical than Greek, the way it's written. It's more Gentilish in character. <laughs> Yet, one of the attributes of the divine is light in the Old Testament. One of the attributes of God is the one who brings light. <laughs> Let there be light. And so, yes, although it's it's more tangential here. He doesn't come right out and say, just as God said, let there be light, so also I, the word of God, am your light. Now, had he done that, that's what you're talking about. And that's something that Matthew might do. If Matthew were to make the argument, he would have quoted from Genesis and then applied it in that way. But here he just draws this philosophical argument, which sounds far more Greek to the reader when you first read it, there is going to be significant and direct citations from the Old Testament in just a moment, though. And that's interesting that that survives. And it survives almost in a contrary way, and you'll see. Nevertheless, that is true. That is one of the attributes of the divine, but it is not directly quoted as a, as a biblical referent. He says, even if I testify, testify on my own account. Now, that should tell you right there, it's not, a, it, it, he, that is not where he's going to leave it. It's not just me testifying, friend. And he begins that argument with the next line. For you judge by human standards, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. This is his hint. It's not just I who witness to my statements. It's I and the Father who witness to them. And he's going to say that. Plus, when he refers to judging, uh, this father wouldn't be Joseph. No. No, no, no. This is a reference to the divine father, to God, which is, in this period, a little bit of a stretch for your average Jew to say that. Usually when they talked about their father in the Jewish context, they talk about Father Abraham, which is what the Jews are getting ready to do. But here he's using the divine referent for a father. And while you can get away with that in certain contexts, especially in worship type contexts, Jesus talked about the father, God as father, directly, intimately, in ways that Jews normally didn't do. They recognized a, a much more of a distance. Like, like the song, God is watching us from a distance. That is more the Jewish conception of God being out there and we're down here and you gotta stay away kind of idea. In Greek, is there another term for father that is divine? No, pater is it. That's it, okay. That's it. Um, in, in well, I mean, you looked it up. And I wanted to make I wanted to make sure that there was another word. No, for I I wanted to make sure that they used pater there, and that wasn't my English translation's interpretation. <laughs> okay. of it. Yeah, I can't always trust these yeah. interpretations. And then, of course, there's there's um, there's the Aramaic Abba references that both Paul uses in his letters 
and that Jesus uses on the cross, uh, the, the referent Abba for Father, which is Aramaic, yeah. and is extraordinarily unusual in referent to the divine. It's not just pater, it's daddy. It's not fa it's the same distinction. It, there, you can say father in a more formal sense in Hebrew, and then you can say daddy. And that's the referent that is being used by Jesus in the synoptics and by Paul in his letters when he talks about crying out and crying out to the, to the Abba, Abba Father, Abba Pater. <laughs> uh, here he, 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 he uses Pater, Father in Greek, the formal literal term for Father. And he's doing it assuming, it sounds like, that they're supposed to understand that it ain't Joseph and it's not Father Abraham. Which would have been acceptable too. It's it's God, and that's going to become beyond question in a bit, um, not not too not too long. So, just as if I judge, I judge in concert with God, with the Father. So also my my witnesses, my witnessing to myself is not just myself doing it. It's the Father doing it. He's getting ready to say that. Verse seventeen. In your law, it is written. Notice, in your law. Now, Jesus, aren't you a Jew? Shouldn't you say, in our law? Unless you're higher than that, of course. Well, you know, in, in your law. <laughs> in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. You've got to have two witnesses for something to be valid, for to be assured. I testify on my own behalf. And the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Well, that's two. Yeah, that's the two witnesses. Yeah, except you're, in, you're your own witness. Well, that, was, ex that. that was acceptable but so long as you had somebody else. That's all you can testify to yourself, but you've got to have somebody else to back you up. And generally, somebody else is seen, I presume. And well, yeah, you can sit there and talk. <laughs> That's the problem. You put your finger on uh -huh. it. There is the question, how do you verify that this is the Father, that the Father does this? It, well, all we have right now is Jesus' word for it. <laughs> In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. And then here we have the question. Then they said to him, where is your father? What a setup. Well, it almost sounds like they want to know where Joseph is. He's croaked about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, more of these cryptic statements, if you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Remember that from before? This is this, exactly the same thing we saw in chapter 7. He didn't want to go when his brothers asked him to go because his hour had not yet come. Then he goes and they can't arrest him and they can't lay hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Here he is in the treasury of the temple and he's saying these audacious things 
and they can't lay hands on him to arrest him because his hour had not yet come. That's a real. Next time the police ever want to pull you over and arrest you, you can say, you can't arrest me. My hour has not yet come. See what happens. See what happens to you. Again, he said to them, I am going away. Well, that's good news. I'm sure some of the Pharisees out there are going, oh, good. Again, he said to them, I am going away, and you will search for me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Then the Jews said, is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means by saying, where I am going, you cannot come? That's interesting. And then um, backing up to that, he said, once more Jesus said to them, does that mean that he addressed them once and then he addressed them again? This is a whole sequence of these. Jesus is kind of like, my mental image is he's walking around on the temple mount between the temple and the treasury and, and, and he's giving these little speeches in, in the various areas. And then they want to arrest him and he just sort of disappears. They can't lay hands on him. And then he finds another place and he starts to speak to them again. And that's kind of my, how I see this. Because this happens in the temple treasury. That's a different place from the earlier area, one of the porticos outside the temple. And, but on he, the mountain. and that's my other question. Um, they mentioned that, that he's not arrested. Even though he's in the treasury he's, and, and makes that statement, they don't arrest him. They could have. It, it, it re reads as if because he's witnessing in... The treasury that's unlawful. Well, he's witnessing that not that what he's saying not, not not that it's against the law to witness in the treasury. It's he's what he's saying is of such audacious import that given the confines of the place, they should have been able to grab him. And here he is in the it'd be like standing in the middle of the bank mm. <laughs> preaching. And they want to arrest you. Well, if they want to arrest you, they got to have a lot of security around. They shouldn't have trouble arresting you. And yet, for whatever reason, no, because his hour had not yet come, he was able to walk out of there without them laying hands on him. Again, he said to them, I'm going away and you will search for me, but you will die in your sin. I mean, so. You might be searching, I'm going to be gone, and you're going to look for me, but I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to find me. You're going to be dead in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. You, you can't go there. You can't go where I'm going to go. And I love their question. Is he going to kill himself? Is that what he, is, he means by saying, where I am going, you cannot come? I mean, it's a logical question for them to ask. What the heck does he mean by that? What, what do you mean? Where is it that we cannot go? Unless he's going to die, well, maybe he's going to kill himself. Hmm. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. That was just really a slap in the face. Oh, oh. <laughs> if, this is, if this is one slap, there's like eight or nine to come. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Now, this just fits beautifully with both Gentile cosmology as well as Jewish. This idea of being from above, from heaven, not of this world. 
about below. The below part on this world. And, it, and below this world, which he's getting ready to make a statement about. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. Now, now many of your translations have he after that. Yes. That's supplied by the translator. It's not there in the Greek. Here is another I am statement. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. No he. Just strike that. Mine says I am the one I claim to be. The one I claim to be is interpretive. It's not in the wording. The wording is quite literal. Uh, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. Verse 24 in Greek. Um, Hate ego eimi. <laughs> that I am. Literally. That's the same. Ego eimi is the exact same words that's used in the Greek Old Testament rendering from, from uh, Exodus when Moses asks Yahweh, God, who, who am I to say sent me? And God says... Ego me, I am that I am. Ego me, ego me, literally. And that's precisely what he's, he uses the same wording in the Greek there, which in Hebrew would be Yahweh, mm -hmm. which is God's personal name. Which you can't use. Which is a no-no. Especially in our temple one more time. Well, I mean, anywhere. <laughs> the only person who can use that is the high priest at... During the Feast of Atonement, when he's in the Holy of Holies with the blood on his finger, sprinkling it three times over the holy, the, over the altar, he can say very quietly, Yahweh, in the prayer. Whereas area, all the rest of the time, you're only supposed to say Adonai in Jewish tradition. Here he's using the personal name of God and making an assertion about himself. They said to him, who are you? Or, or possibly, who do you think you are? I mean, he, let, let, listen to that. Let, listen to it again. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. Who do you think you are? That's kind of really how this, this functions. Jesus said to them, why do I even bother talking to you at all? <laughs> I mean, that's really kind of how it comes out. Mm -hmm. Why do I speak to you at all? I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but the one who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. So we already knew this. They were clueless as to who he's been talking about thus far. When he talks about the Father, they're clueless. They don't know who he's talking about. In that sense, Jesus is right. You don't know who sent me. You don't know me and you don't know him. In that sense, he's right. They don't know that he's talking about the Father. Hapater, the, the creator, God. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man. That's an interesting phrase. Anybody have a different wording there? Than lifted up the Son of Man. 
lifted up the Son of Man. I just said when you lift up the Son of Man. When you lift up the Son of Man. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am. <laughs> of course. Strike key. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you have crucified, that's a euphemism for that. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will realize that I am. Again, he uses God's personal name. And that I do nothing on my own, but I speak these things as the Father instructed me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. Note verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So somehow, someway, he broke through with some of them. With, according to this, with many of them. Some people actually started, many of them started to believe in him. Now why? It's not particularly evident except that they just kind of like what they were hearing. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, well, who else was there but the Jews? <laughs> this is that reference. It seems both in 7 and now in 8, he just seems to be referencing Jews, but now it's the Jews who believed in him. But it's only for just a moment here because he then slips back into talking to the others. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, we've always heard that. But notice it's a conditional. If you continue in my word, I thought once saved, always saved. <laughs> if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. You've got to continue in his word, following his word, believing his word, obeying his word. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? We're, we're free. Those of us standing here, we've never been enslaved to anybody. We're, we're children of Abraham. How dare you say that we'll know the truth and the truth will make us free? And Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, yet you look for an opportunity to kill me. Now, is he talking to the Jews who believed him there? Probably not. He's speaking in general to the whole crowd. Yet you look for an opportunity to kill me because there is no place in you for my word. I declare what I have seen in the Father's presence. As for you, you should do what you have heard from the Father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, 
If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He had faith. He had faith. He had not faith. How did, how did he have he obeyed. faith? <laughs> he, had obeyed. he obeyed. He obeyed. Tried to kill his son. Tried to kill Isaac when he was told, and then when he was told not to, he didn't. He left Ur of the Chaldees, went to Haran, then went on into the promised land. He was told, look up in the sky, you can see all the stars up in the heavens, and you'll have more kids than that. And you'll have more kids by the, than the sands by the seashore. You're going to have lots of kids. Of course, he and Sarah, I thought that was nuts. I mean, you know, come on. She was old, and he was old, and God doesn't know anything about menopause. And so they said, here, we got our handmaid Hagar here. Let's, let's get job, God's job done for God. And so Abram took Hagar, went into a tent, and they produced Ishmael. Now, was that faith? Not exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. And then God comes in the form of three men, angels, whatever, and says, nah, not Ishmael, not Hagar, but Sarah is going to produce a child for you, you and Sarah together. She laughs about it. God says, why would you laugh? She says, I didn't laugh. God says, yeah, you did. God come back a year from now and you're going to have a kid. And she does. And they named him Isaac, the child of promise. That is what Abraham did. <laughs> he heard the promise, finally believed the promise, and acted upon it and had faith as a result. That's what he did. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you were Abraham's children... You would be doing what Abraham did, trusting in God, obeying God, living by faith, doing what God says to do. Not trying to get it done your own way, but doing it God's way. But now, you're trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Abraham didn't try to kill the messenger who came to him with the word that he was gonna, his wife was going to conceive and bear a son. He didn't try to kill the three angels who came to him. And Pete's thinking, no, he just went out with Hagar. <laughs> That's a good choice. Well, I mean, you know, Sarah, old, Hagar, young, yeah, nubile. Yeah. I mean, come on. Um, really talking the story here. Isn't it? Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. really But there's an interesting right. the, these spin, references though. Spin. They're they're here. Let's let's pick it up back at the beginning of the paragraph and run through it. They answered him, Abraham is our father, and Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did, but now you're trying to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are indeed doing what your father does. They said to him, we are not illegitimate children. We have one father, God himself. I thought they said that they had Abraham as their father. But now they got two fathers, Abraham and now God. Now they're willing to make this assertion that God is their father. In other words, they can make that assertion. They don't normally make it individually. What's the word for God there? God himself. They also would imagine. <clears throat> Look, Tom Theon, God, God's self. The, it, well, it's the reflexive formation of it. So it's simply Tantheon, which is God. God's self is, is supplied by the grammar. So it's a, it's a 
fully Greek word. Oh yeah, the frame, the phrasing here is totally is totally Greek, and the in the grammar is dependent upon that. You are indeed doing what the Father does. And I said to him, We are not illegitimate children. We have one Father, God himself. And Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came... Oh, that's convenient. <laughs> <laughs> For I came from God and now I am here. I did not... See, that's one of the reasons why I said John is written for believers. It is. It's written based, predicated on the assumption that you reading this are going to totally agree with it because you have no question as to who he is. You have no question that God sent him. You have no question that he is the word. You have no question that he's the Lamb of God. You have no question that he's the Son of God. You have no question about his authority to do this. You have no question about his authority to witness to himself. All these statements are true. Hence, his argument holds together. It's not written for people who do not already accept the premise. Which is why it's kind of weird, because it's articu being articulated at folk who supposedly don't accept the premise. Mm -hmm. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you, you might even supply that if God were really your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now I am here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. This is some of the most direct statements from Jesus about I mean, in this whole parallation from the beginning of seven on, this is some of the most direct statements he's made. He's no longer beating around the bush. He's no longer being cryptic. He's coming right out and saying it. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and now I am here. Well, he's not saying the one who sent me, and father without referencing that. Oh, by the way, that father is, is Elohim, is God. That father is Adonai Elohim, or even Yahweh. Instead, he's saying Yahweh about himself, and he's being cryptic up until now. If God were your father, you would love me, for I am from God, and now I am here. I came from God, and now I'm here. I, I was once there, and now I am with you. I did not, I did not come on my own. But he sent me. I'm his messenger. I'm his representative. I'm here because he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot accept my word. You are from... When I told you about the slapping, here you go. You are from your father, the devil. <coughs> <clears throat> you are from your father, the devil, and you choose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from his beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. I mean, you can't get any more blunt than that, can you? And it's a, this, is a, this is just a, an incredible assertion that Jesus is making here. Not only is he saying to these Jews who don't believe in him, you, you don't have 
You don't really have Abraham as your father because you're not doing what Abraham does. You can only say that you have Abraham as your spiritual father if you do what Abraham does. And Abraham had faith in the word that was given to him by the one that God sent uh, to him, the angel who proclaimed to him, the three who came to him. He listened to what they said. He believed it and eventually acted on it with Sarai and generated Isaac as a result. And he did what, what God said. He obeyed God. He left Ur of the Chaldees. He, he had faith. You're not doing what 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 God is telling you to do. You're not doing what Abraham did. Therefore, you're not Abraham's children. Not really, not, not in the spirit. You may be genetically, but you're not spiritually. And then they say, oh, well, we really have God as our father. <laughs> I mean, they're trying to uh, wanna get, go one up on him now. Well, we've got God as our father. We're not illegitimate kids. And Jesus' response is, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I am here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you do not understand what I say because you cannot accept my word. It is it, because of what you do and don't do, I am saying these things about you. It is because you cannot accept my word. You are from your father, the devil, and you choose to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is from God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not from God. So in other words, his logic, such as it is, is consistent within itself. I am from God. I come from God. I proclaim God's word. You do not hear me because you are not from God. You follow your father, the devil. If you were really Abraham's kids, if you were really following Abraham as your father, if you were really the spiritual children of Abraham, you'd be doing what Abraham did, which was following what God told him to do, obeying what God told him to do, living in faith as God told him to live, going in and creating Isaac with Sarah. Instead of trying to kill the three messengers, instead of trying to kill the angel, which is what you're trying to do right now, to me. Hmm. This is some pretty tough stuff. Jesus is convicting them again and again and again and again. He's saying essentially to them, you don't accept me because you don't accept God. You don't accept me because you do not accept God. It's like, you know, it sounds a whole lot, just the logic sounds like spiritual blackmail. <laughs> well, it's I'd be thinking about accepting you because I don't want to be uh, go to Satan myself. Read it within the context of a believer. Yeah, Someone who you. already accepts the premise. Oh yeah, it's easy then. Well, okay. Jesus is obviously that. Therefore, the reason why people are rejecting him is because they're not empowered to accept him. 
That's a little bit of interesting. That's a little bit of Calvinism in there from the modern yeah, conception. Yeah. This idea that the only those who are uh, elected um, can hear and understand and accept from birth when you were in when you were in your womb. Well, you have to believe that the people that John was writing to were under some kind of stress from the outside world. Okay, what was going on? You had the persecutions during the Roman period, during the 90s AD, you had the persecutions. Huh? Lion food. Oh, yeah. They were being persecuted heavily. The people who are doing this, they've got to be from the devil. That's obvious. I mean, this is evil. People are dying for their profession of faith. So, yeah, the, this is coming from the devil. The synagogues have tossed the last of the Jewish Christians out a good 20 years before. In the, by the 70s, after the destruction of the Second Temple, Judaism had to consolidate into essentially one denomination of a religion. You couldn't have all these various sects because they were too weak as it was without the temple. So they had to consolidate down to one. And Pharisaic Judaism won because they had the synagogues. And so you, you, you couldn't be an Essene, you couldn't be a Zealot, you couldn't be a Sadducee because you don't have the temple, so you really can't be a Sadducee. And, and you can't be a Jesus person either because you, you're accepting a Messiah and Messiahs don't die and your Messiah did. So sorry, you're out. You either give up Jesus or you give up the synagogue. So you've got some of the Jewish Christians who are still smarting over that, hence the Jews. The, this, this negative, I mean, sometimes I think, you know, it's spelled J-E-W-S, but sometimes the, 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 the emotional feeling, it, it makes it sound like it ought to be written J-O-O-O-S, the Jews. <laughs> it's that attitude of almost viciousness, which we saw a lot of in Matthew from that community, from that very community that had been tossed out of the synagogue on their ear. We're now seeing here this, this separateness where even Jesus himself isn't really a part of it because he says, in your law. That's the law of Moses. There seems to be this, that's that, that, this is a section of it that views the Jews very suspiciously, especially the Jerusalem Jews, especially the leadership Jews. The Pharisees, the temple folks, the, the some of them have a pot. I mean, there are some Jews who who believe it. There are these security guards back at the end of chapter seven who we couldn't do it. This is what a word we heard. Nicodemus making an argument. So it's not blanket. There's a recognition that not all the Jews opposed him. But were the twenty years after the destruction of the temple, were the Jerusalem Jews or any of the Jews particularly? Powerful? They're being, well, yes, because they were deported out of Jerusalem to Tiberias and Galilee and further north into Damascus. Uh, the more powerful you were at the time of the destruction of the Second Temple, if you survived it and survived the, the slaughter of those who were defending the city, you, you were pushed as far away as, as you could go. Some of the families moved into Tiberias. Many of them were pushed all the way to Damascus. And most of the Christians went all the way to Damascus because there was a strong Christian community in Damascus in the 70s. There had been since Paul's day. And so that's where they evacuated to. And many of the people who then settled down in Tiberias and further north up in Damascus were something like 35 miles away. 
it, they're, they're the Jewish leadership are saying, we've got to solidify our religion. So you can't be your other denominations anymore. We're all got to be Jews, Pharisees, Pharisaic Jews, synagogue Jews. And since we don't have the temple system anymore, we only have one thing, the Torah, the writings, the, the, the scriptures. So we're going to be a people who live by the book. And you're following a Messiah who died. And sorry, you got stuff that you listen to outside the book. So bye-bye if you're going to follow Jesus. Yeah, there was this animosity that would have been that would have survived way into the 90s. Mostly it would have been an animosity of they did this to our dad and our mom or to us when we were kids kind of attitude. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. But it's still there. Animosity, but not, not necessarily a threat that would provoke you to... Oh, it's not going to continue happening. This is, this is the echo. This is the, we are sour grapes, we're angry because this happened. And there's still probably some animosity from the Jews too. From the, from the non-Christian Jews who are um, still trying to solidify their position and work out an accommodation with Rome. And you've got these gen, this, this community of people who claim to be Christians who are made up of some Jews who are Christians and lots of Gentiles who are Christians. This is a weird thing and it's threatening Rome and they're trying to get rid of them. We want to... You, you got, you're under persecution. You've got the plague. Get away kind of attitude. And that was also going on. Let's keep going. Here he's talking about the devil. Now that's interesting. Statements about the devil. You know, that was another thing that I thought was hilarious. And if you want to see the humor of this, uh-huh. where he... They claim, well, we're not. He's talking, and they're looking at him going, are you calling us bastards? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he's going, no, I'm calling you devil's spawn. <laughs> Certainly not God's children. And, and so, you know, here, that's the worst they could think of, and then he tells them, no, you're even worse than that. You're children of the devil. <laughs> Interesting characterization of the devil here. I was going to say, were you going to tell us about the devil? Or is, is Satan the word they use? Hasatan is, um, uh, Satan is the Hebrew word. It means the accuser, the opposer. Uh, understandings of the nature of the devil and of Satan uh, developed over a rather lengthy period of time, beginning with the uh, exile into Babylon in the 500s. And they... Um, before going into exile, they really didn't have a strong understanding of a devil or a Satan. The Jews, um, they, they, they just didn't really have that, that type of duality type argument. They, 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 had, they had the idea of the, of the Satan, of the accuser, as sort of an impish type uh, being, a semi-angelic being who who would you know, go around tempting folk. But that's about it. And they certainly didn't connect. They connected him a little bit to the snake in the Garden of Eden, but, but it was mostly a snake. Wasn't it? it was mostly just a, a, an impish critter who kind of does the same kind of things as the Hasatan did, but, but not really the same. But in a captivity in Babylon, 
They learned about the idea of this duality of light and dark. If you have a light power, then you've got to have a dark power against it. And so they learned about the devil, about Satan being the devil there. And they came back out of exile 80 plus years later, back to, back to Judea, bringing with them this interpretive layer now, this, this, this new interpretation or new method of interpreting their history. And so they looked back and they had the good kings and they had the bad kings. So the bad kings were inspired by the devil and the good kings were not. And, and, and they could look back and they started to interpret the stories from the Old Testament with the, with the framework of, of Satan being a demon or a, a devil or the devil. And then you had the development of angelology with pulling from Babylonian imagery of the hosts of heaven and battles in heaven. And then you get this idea of the three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. And Michael is sort of like Secretary of Defense, and, and Gabriel is sort of like the, the um, Secretary of State, or, the, or more, maybe more properly put, the the Secretary of Propaganda or Communications. Uh, and, and the Lucifer is, which means, that's a Latin term meaning furious light, um, um, the, the shining one. And, and he, uh, he was sort of like the choir master. He's kind of like Tom, choir master. And, uh, and, in, and, and then each one of them had a third of heaven under them. So Michael had his soldiers, angel soldiers, and Gabriel had his communication angels, messenger angels, and Lucifer had his choir. And, uh, um, and then Lucifer decided that he didn't like the plan for uh, Adam for the humans that God had and so he decided to rebel and, and all that stuff developed and grew and bouncing back and forth off of imagery from Babylonian myths they developed this understanding of the devil as a fallen angel and Lucifer becomes the Hasatan who is the devil, the Diablos. And uh, by the time of Jesus, it's a fully formed idea that the devil is in, intimately involved in the lives of sinners and, and all the evil that happens, eventually tra you can trace it back to, to the devil. Uh, the, the murder of Abel by Cain, the the, the snake uh, lying about you won't die when you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. All, by that time, if you, read the, if you read Rashi and some of the other Jewish rabbis, and if you go back and read many of the interpretations from around this period of time, you find that the devil is identified with all sorts of stuff throughout the Old Testament. Um, if you read some of the literature from Qumran, you see that the diabolical figures, satanic type figures, or uh, angelic type beings, demons are involved. And you see them in his healing ministry. A, a demon is behind every kind of illness you can think of. Paralysis, blindness, there are, there are demons involved in all of these things. And so, much, so many of Jesus' healings are articulated as deliverances from, from demonic uh, oppression or, or, or possession. 
So this understanding had developed over a period of time so that by the day of Jesus, there was no question that the devil would be behind any and all rejection. And so by the time of John's gospel, and now you're starting to bounce this developed Judaic interpretation of the Babylonian experience now off of Greco-Roman worldview, where there definitely was this dualism between good and evil. In, and that they really liked that. And so you're getting that going too. And you can see this here in Jesus saying, you're children of the devil. And, and he uses this, this, this phrasing here. He was a murderer from the beginning, which generally, interesting how the church fathers immediately latched onto the killing of Abel with that one. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And they almost always, the church fathers almost always immediately leap straight to the statement you know, of the snake to, to Eve, you won't die if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God, God doesn't want you to do it because God knows that you'll become like him. Which, is a, which was you know, a, a lie. They did start dying from that day. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. How interesting that we accept that we, um, the devil will speak from his own nature, but yet when Jesus wanted to witness, or when Jesus said, I could witness to myself, I could speak of my own nature, you won't believe that, but you will believe the devil's nature. Well, that the, the devil, devil speaks from his own nature and is the father of lies. You have no question about that. And none of, and, 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 and both in Jesus' day and in John's day, none of this would have been debated. But yet, they won't accept the duality of that. No. Look what he says in 45. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is from God, and this is the part where you kind of get to that whole idea that kind of, to me, a Calvinist love this one, verse 47. <laughs> Whoever is from God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not from God which is sort of the conclusion of what he says up here at the very beginning of this paragraph when he says that you really don't have Abraham as your father. You don't really have God as your father. Your father is the devil. The Jews answered him, are we, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> okay, we don't like what we're hearing. We don't like this at all. You come from Galilee. That's awfully close to Samaria. Maybe you're really a Samaritan. And you got a demon, too. I mean, it's not bad enough that... I mean, you've got to remember... And this also, by the way, is interesting because it's an attitude that echoes back way early, this, this anti-Samaritan type thinking. By this point in time, that's behind them. But it's interesting, they put into these, these uh, Jewish detractors' lips this, this phrasing. Are, are we not right in saying that you're so... Okay, we, we've tried to get you. Now we're just going to start throwing things and see if we can get anything to stick. <laughs> <laughs> um, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan 
and have a demon. And Jesus, I can almost see him going, oh. Do not. <laughs> do, do not. <laughs> exactly. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. Verse 51 is kind of almost... I mean, some, some put this in a new paragraph. Uh, mine doesn't have it as a new paragraph. It almost ought to. Very truly, I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. <laughs> I mean, after you said that, Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than, notice that even though this is written text here, they didn't quite get it the same. I thought that was interesting. He actually says, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever keeps my word, keeps my word, will never see death. And then they paraphrase him, whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Now, interestingly enough, there have been some people who've tried to differentiate between what it means to see death and what it means to taste death. Seeing death, it's different, it's distant from you. Tasting death, it's closer to you. Huh. I wonder why they misquote him here. I mean, it's, I think it would be obvious that John would know what he's doing. He, he could have fixed that easy. Why would they have the Jews misquoting Jesus here? About such a subtle little difference. Whoever keeps my word will never taste death as opposed to whoever keeps my word will never see death. Just as a little hint. Church fathers have preached on that one forever. <laughs> Ever since. Hey, yeah, somebody's got too much time on that. Well, look, when you're trying to preach a sermon on a passage that you've preached on every three years, you're going to have to come up with a new thought for that one. And, I mean, that's the kind of thing that I do for crying out loud. I know how this happens. I do this kind of thing. I see little things like that, and I go, aha, another new sermon. <laughs> I could talk about the difference between seeing as opposed to tasting. Hmm. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died, the prophets, who uh, also died, who do you claim to be? I mean, you know, they're rather incredulous about this. You say, you, you, you actually have the, have the gall to say, whoever keeps my words will never see death. You're, you're actually going to make that claim? Abraham didn't make the claim. Prophets don't make the claim. They're all dead. Who do you think you are? And they seem to understand that what they're talking about is dying. You know, it's not it's croaking. Tasting. It's, just dying. it's croaking. It's croaking. Yeah, it's actually real dying. Close. Real close. Yeah. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, he of whom you say, He is our God, though you do not know him, but I know him. If I would say that I do not know him, I would be like a, li a liar like you. <laughs> I mean, 
What you said earlier is rattling around in my head, Pete. Do not. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> That's almost what this is like, isn't it? Isn't it? This is just wild. And he's talking about glorifying himself. They're accusing him here of glorifying himself when he says um, that whoever keeps my word will never see death. They immediately go to that and say, look, Abraham, the prophets, they never said that. They're dead. Are you greater than they? Are you glorifying yourself among them? And he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. He of whom you say he is our God, though you do not know him. But I know him. If I would say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. That's just a strangest statement that be in Jesus' lips. Your ancestor Abraham, now he's speaking, I guess, genetically, literally. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now you really got to have it, Dean. If you're seeing dead people. Then, then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Now, what does that mean when they said, You're not yet 50 years old? Abraham's been dead longer than 50 years. <laughs> Quite a little. Yeah, yeah but Jesus is only, what, about 32? You whippersnapper, young whippersnapper. What was important about the age of 50 in this period? I mean, an old man. <laughs> he got credentials, wisdom. In, in the Jewish world, when you reached 50, if you managed to make it that long, you were considered an elder of the community. You had gray hair. You had wrinkles. You had wisdom. So much wisdom just is old. But, but that's, what, that's what they said. If you could make it to 50, you certainly don't make stupid mistakes. You've got some good genes behind you. You've lived a long time, so you've learned some stuff. And yeah, some people lived a lot older than 50. We have records of people living into their 70s, 80s, 90s, and even up to 100 in this period of time. It, it is not unknown. But it's very, very rare. If people lived in that day could see us today, they'd be stunned. So many people living into their 70s, 80s, and 90s. It's just, un just unknown to them to have that volume of people living that long. But they could always say, oh yeah, we know old man this or old man that lived to be 80, 90 years old, which was just unbelievable to them in their living history, in their living memory. But if you live to be 50, in a, in a not insignificant portion of the male society could make it that long, then you were considered a man of great wisdom, a man of great attainment, a man of, 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 of great experience. And they're saying, you're not even 50. You're not even that. Much less lived 1,700 years ago. You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? You don't have the wisdom. Also think about it. Messiahs. Messiahs are to be military victories, victorious generals. 
They are to be kings, and they are to be religious reformers of how the people live their religious life. They're to set up right worship. They're to set up the kingdom of David. They're to defeat the forces of the Roman Empire and toss them out on their ear. Generals, kings, and high priests tend to be older, like 50. You're claiming to be the Messiah. You're not even 50 years old yet, kind of bit. All of that is kind of playing in here. All that idea, they're, they're incredulous. He's a kid. He's only 30-something. And he's claiming that he's seen Abraham? That's what they're accusing him of. <laughs> you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. There's another I am, and that's the big, and that's the big one. Yeah, that's the big one. Yeah, the whole thing almost looks like a setup for that. It is because the rest of these references to Abraham don't quite hit the mark. Well, they bring it up. They themselves. By golly, he sucks them in. I think. I think they bring up the Abraham bit, and then he just takes that and runs with it. But they brought it up at the beginning. Yeah, John has thirty-seven. You know, he 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 mentions Abraham. You are descendants of Abraham. But they told him they were descendants of Abraham. Yeah, I want to see what they were descendants of Abraham. Abraham. They did. Um, Because I think he, I think he keep going. He steers them into this. Okay, you found that at what thirty? What now? Twenty-seven, I think. Huh? Thirty-seven. That was twenty-seven. Thirty-seven. I know. Yeah, thirty-seven. I know that you were descendants of Abraham. Okay. Okay, verse 33. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. That's right after he said that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And then they brought up Abraham. Then he replies, and that sucks them they in. They do not, yeah. He sucks them in through the whole parallelation here, the whole process here of bouncing off their father Abraham. No, you don't have father Abraham. You don't even have father God. You have father devil. And blah, you know, bang, bang, bang. No, we're not. Yes, we do. No, you're not. Like, like a tennis game, back and forth. Bang, 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 all the way down to here. Truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Which is the ultimate of the I am statements. Yeah. He's not yet 50 years old. Who does he to me saying that Abraham has seen him and been happy that he has now come here? Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Because it wasn't time. <laughs> but it was almost time. It was almost time, Because Ryan. his hour Getting had close. Come. Getting close. That's what I'm saying. You can't push that time thing. You better hide. Oh, turn on, the, turn on the cloaking device. Scotty, turn on the cloaking device. Put on the cloak of invisibility. Get me, get me out of here. Beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> There's no intelligent life down here. Right. New. What what is the word for hid? The hid the word for hid. hid? Was it vanished, possibly? Oh, it's in verse fifty nine. Stones slipping away and hid. Yeah. Um. The ekrube, which means. Uh, vanished. Uh, it became an echo. 
Yeah, echo, ecrube, we get the same word from that. He, 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 he disappeared, vanished, became like an echo. You, you picked it up, you picked up, ecrube, you picked it up perfectly. That is the word from which we get echo, mm-hmm. which is sort of like to vanish. And, and they go, to go like an echo. Well, well, day is, is oh, the day. particle. And then ekrubo is the word. And uh, Jesus then echoed away. <laughs> so it was a cloaking device. From their presence. <laughs> it was almost like a cloaking device. But, I mean, that's the image that I get. You know, he just disa- you know, disappeared. I mean, uh, in first session this morning, I said he just kind of slipped out around the crowd. I says, well, you can think that if you want, but that's not what it says. It says... <laughs> So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself. It doesn't say how he hid himself. It just says he hid himself and went out of the temple. He, he echoed himself. He disappeared. He vanished himself. He made himself hard to see. However you understand that. But they're all around him yelling at him. Yeah. How can he slip out? Well, they stooped down to pick up the stones. stones. He put on the anti-Sumerian equipment. <laughs> Well. And they looked around for a Samaritan, and he wasn't there. <sighs> Which he never said he wasn't a Samaritan, by the way. Okay, seven and eight kind of be taken together, I think we've seen. And it's a sequence of statements by Jesus in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, back and forth with the crowd. And the crowd is made up of Jews, Jewish leaders and Jewish people, you name it. Some of them have decided they're going to believe in him. Some of them were already sort of predisposed to believe them back in, towards the end of chapter 7. Now into chapter 8, he's getting, he's, he's, he's almost like digging in even more. And he's, and it is like a tennis match back and forth. They're pouncing back and forth. Did not, did to, yes I say, no you're not, yes you are, yet, no I'm not, kind of bit back and forth. And this illustrates why I said at the beginning and why I continue to say John is written for the believer. If you accept the premise going out the gate of who Jesus is, then every argument he makes holds together. That's why you read John after you've done the synoptics. It's why John, actually, it's why John comes forth in the list. It's because you've got to be acquainted with who this Jesus is before you can then accept the theological interpretations and the premise behind them in this work. If you go, I mean, I know people who tell folk who are new Christians, go and read John's Gospel. You're not going to understand a fifth of what you read. That'd be horrible. Once you're aware and acquainted (laughs) of who Jesus is from the synoptics, which are more straightforward, you can then start to deal with the interpretation of John's Gospel, which is interpretive. I think we've seen that with all the front-loading of the affirmations about him. We're no longer in the front-loading zone. We're in the, the, the meat section of it where he's making statements about himself, and he made a bunch of statements about himself. He began out with, uh, back here in, in chapter, back here in chapter 7, he's, he comes up and he talks about himself as the water of life. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. And he goes on to make other affirmations about himself. I am the light of the world. That's a humongous statement right then and there. If you believe in me, 
that I am, you, you won't have to worry about your sins. But if you don't believe in me that I am, you will. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and it will set you free. Statements about his identity there. Statements about his, his identity as the Son of God, the one sent by the Father. And then these humongous statements, whoever keeps my word will never see death. And before Abraham was, I am. listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2010 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.